Good morning. Good morning, Purpose Church. I am so glad that you are here. We have a fantastic morning for us. Before we jump into what we're going to be talking about, two things I want to highlight. Number one is this. Again, we have that giving wall. Uh, Our student ministries assistant, Courtney, who if you only knew how much she did, you would probably fire us and hire her to do everything because she's amazing. And she put together this whole giving wall uh, with just stories. We don't want to ask for your money. Uh, We just want you to hear about the lives that were changed because of your uh, generosity through camp. So thank you so much for that. Second thing is this is Generation Sunday, which um, Pastor Brian and Pastor Adrian were having a conversation about what it would look like if uh, we did something kind of different than what we usually do with generations, which usually on a Wednesday night, we have some of our spiritual grandparents join our students students in small groups and worship with us, and it's an incredible experience. Uh, we said, what, what, would, what would it look like if this Sunday we actually had our students sit in worship with their spiritual grandparents and then actually go to their Sunday school classes? So that is happening right now. So this is Generation Sunday, which is really, really, really exciting about, uh, really exciting. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your presence here. We thank you, God, that you love us, that you know us. And as we talk this morning about doubt, as we talk about the questions and the uncertainties that we have, God, I pray that you would bring freedom to us. I pray that you would bring hope to us. I pray that we would have courage to doubt the way that you have called us to doubt. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we're having kind of an interesting time together. We're talking about Jesus can handle your doubts, how to grow instead of run. We're talking this morning about how do you doubt the right way. But before we jump into that, let me tell you a story. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call from a good buddy of mine, and he said I could use his name. Uh, His name's John. John's one of my really good friends. And uh, John is like a little bit taller than me, a little bit more fashionable than me, uh, a little bit cooler than me, a little bit stronger than me, uh, a little bit smarter than me. So John is this guy that I look up to that I think, man, he, he's kind of got it all together and, and he's like a man's man, right? Like he knows how to build things, right? Like I, I've told you this before, Ikea is the extent of my building expertise. So he knows how to build things beyond that. Like he built a fence in his backyard. That task just makes me want to die. I have no idea how to do that, but he knows how to do that. So he builds fences. He installs things. I pay people to install things or I convince them to do it for free. He installs things on his own. That's what he does. So he's like this man's man, right? And I, and I always picture like John will call me and say, hey, we should do this or what about this? And I always know it's going to be something manly. It's going to be something cool. It's going to be something adventurous. And then on this specific occasion, I got a phone call from John and he said this. He said, hey, Eric, do you and Sarah want to join Callie and I to see the pageant of the master? First off, just a toll, just a poll. Has anybody ever seen Pageant of the Masters, right? Okay, so so Pageant of the Masters, right? As I'm listening to John, I literally said to him, I said, John, you lost me at Pageant, okay? (laughs) Just full disclosure, that does not sound manly. That does not sound cool. I've never been to a pageant before. None of this makes sense to me. You want to invite me to a pageant? Like, what is that? And he's like, no, 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 you got to come. You got to come. It's amazing. It's going to be incredible. You've got to be there. You guys are going to have the time of your life. And I'm like... John, a, a pageant? Like, really? And, and, then, and then about a week later, I'm sitting at our offices and I'm talking with Callie, his wife, and, and Callie goes, are, are you guys getting excited for the pageant of the Masters? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And she goes, oh, here's what it is. She said, she said it, it, it's when actors reenact famous paintings. And I went, Wah, wah. Like, like, just honestly, right? Just full disclosure, there's nothing about that. that I, was, I didn't get excited about that. There was nothing thrilling about that kind of expression of what it is. And so I, mean, I, I, I don't know. And they're like, you gotta come. You just gotta come. You just gotta come. 
So we sit down, uh, or so, so we go to dinner. Then we, then, then we arrive to Pageant of the Masters. And I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, the curtain opens. If any of you have been to this before, it's amazing. All of a sudden, the curtains open. And the lights shine. And you're looking at a painting. And I'm like, this is cool. This is cool. And, and I, I grab the binoculars that we have. And I'm, and I'm looking. And John just goes, hey, bud, those are real people. I was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? These are real people. And so painting after painting after painting after painting, my mind is getting blown all the way to the very last, which for the last 80 years, this is how they've ended this show. They have actors get up and they reenact Da Vinci's Last Supper. And you guys, I became a believer. Like I'm a believer in pageants now. I love pageants. I'll go to any pageant you invite me to. I'm all about pageants now because I saw this and I experienced this. But it was so amazing because John and Callie didn't give up on me. John and Callie allowed me to express my concerns about my lack of faith. Like they, they, they provided room for that. And then I got to experience it for myself. And something happened in me. Something changed in me. You see, this morning we're talking about doubt. We're talking about the questions we have. We're talking about the uncertainties that we face. And maybe some of you have those that, that for whatever reason, because of what you've been through, because you're new to the faith, because you've been around it for a really long time and there's still this one question you have that you can't get around. You're going, well, what do I do with these doubts? And we're gonna see this morning that there was a disciple who just like you and I doubted, who questioned, who struggled. And this one disciple, this one disciple believed that because he doubted, because he had questions, because he had uncertainties, that there was no hope for him, that his relationship with Jesus was done. And yet God had something radically different in store for him. In fact, for this one disciple, his doubts became a catalyst for growth. That for this one disciple, because of the way he chose to doubt, his entire life was changed. He went to a whole new depth in his relationship with Jesus. And I wonder if the same could be true for some of you. I wonder if for you and me this morning, maybe we came to church and we just feel like we don't belong here because of the questions and the uncertainties and the doubts that we hold, that we carry, that we think about all the time. And yet this morning, we're gonna read about one guy who thought he didn't belong anymore. And yet Jesus told him otherwise. And then Jesus used his life, as we're going to see at the end of the sermon, to do something miraculous. Maybe that could be true for you. So how? Find me in John chapter 20. Let me catch us up to speed. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, all the way to 23, because we're going to start in 24, is a story of the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, she shows up to the tomb, and she's really ready to prepare Jesus' body for burial. That is, the other gospels tell us that, that some of the women and some of the disciples showed up to Jesus' tomb ready to prepare his body for permanent burial. And so Mary shows up to the tomb and as she gets there, the stone is rolled away. And she looks inside and Jesus is nowhere to be found and she absolutely loses her mind. And so she runs back to the disciples and she says, you've got to see this. The tomb is gone. I don't know what happened. I don't know where Jesus is. I'm not sure what's going on, but the tomb is rolled away. And so Peter and John, the writer of this gospel, the one who loved Jesus, show up to the tomb and they too are freaking out. One of them believes, the other one is still asking questions. And they show up and they can't believe what's happening. They're not sure if the Romans have stolen the body, if the Jewish leaders have stolen the body. They're not sure what has happened. Maybe he's come back from the dead. They're just uncertain as to what this means. And Peter 
and John leave and Mary is left there at the tomb. And our text tells us she begins to cry because she doesn't know what's going on. She's confused. And all of a sudden, angels show up. And a little while later, Jesus shows up and she can't fully recognize that it's Jesus. She actually thinks he's a gardener. And she begins to talk to him about what's going on. And then he utters her name. He says, Mary. And she says, teacher, rabbi. And she realizes that Jesus is actually back from the dead. That everything he talked about has just come true. And she has physically seen it with her eyes. And so she becomes the first preacher of the resurrection. She runs back to the disciples and she says, you've got to know I've seen the Lord. He's back. Like it really, really happened. But these disciples, they even begin to question and they're uncertain about it. So they're sitting around in this room and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he shows them his wounds in his hands and in his side. And he says, I'm here. And they believe and they have this amazing experience. The only problem is one of them wasn't there. There was one disciple who slept in that day. There was one disciple who was at an all-you-can-eat buffet and it just went a little too long. Missed the town hall meeting that was happening. There was one disciple who wasn't entirely convinced and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're that one person. You're just not entirely convinced about Jesus. Well, I'm not interested in answering all of your questions this morning. I'm interested in teaching you how to answer your questions this morning. I'm interested in teaching you how to doubt in a way that leads to growth rather than leads to you running away. Because I ultimately believe this, your doubts are not an unclimbable wall. They're just a hurdle that you got to jump. So what we're going to dissect and what we're going to dive into this morning is literally this, this teaching from the life of Thomas and Jesus, where we learn how to go about doubting. We're gonna talk about five ways to move forward when you're doubting. So whatever doubts you're holding right now, whatever concerns, questions you have, this morning is for you. Find me in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. It says this, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve. And he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Bummer for him, right? Bummer. He was not there. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They're going, Thomas, guess what, bud? It's 11 of them right here. Well, 10 of them, right? 11 of them. Thomas is over there, 10 are right here. And they're going, dude, he's back. It happened. It's real. It's amazing. All of them are piping in with what it was like to see Jesus, what it was like to feel him, how amazing and incredible this was. And here's Thomas, maybe like some of you and definitely like me, who's sitting over there and he's going, I don't know. I don't know about this. And I don't know what it was that happened in Thomas's life that caused him to feel that way. But I know for me, when I was a freshman in high school, pretty new to following Jesus, was around the time that 9-11 happened. I remember just being ultimately full of fear and anxiety and worry. I remember the news talking about war I remember friends of mine even talking about like, would, would this result in some kind of draft? And you guys need to know at the age of 16, the age of 16, I was five foot two and a hundred pounds. So I didn't have as much muscle as I have right now in front of your presence. But back then I was like this, like I got pulled over by police who were like, you're a five-year-old driving a car. What are you doing? And I was like, no, I'm not. You know, and I was trying to convince them I wasn't. And so as a kid, I remember thinking, are you kidding me? Like war, that's not a good thing for me. 
I remember around that same time, the internet was kind of coming out and, and, and we had AOL and we had one of those computers where like you would type in a web address, you would click enter, then you would go and you would like climb a mountain and come back two days later. And there the website had finally loaded with just text, you know, no pictures, just text. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I remember reading this article that came out that was questioning the validity of the historical Jesus. Now, now nowadays, Secular scholars, religious scholars, everyone agrees that Jesus of Nazareth actually lived. But back then, there, there was this article, and it really wasn't a great article, but for me as a new believer, I, I, was, I was beginning to doubt and question. And I was full of fear and anxiety, and I really began to ask myself, is this true? Is this thing that I've been taught or that I'm new to, this faith, is Jesus real? Is, did he really rise from the dead? Is he really the only way, the truth, and the life? Can I really trust him eternally? Does he really have a plan and a purpose for my life? Maybe some of you are here this morning and, and you've got a guy named Thomas who was going through some of that. And then he teaches us how to doubt and watch what Jesus does. We've seen the Lord, they said, but then Thomas says this, and this is really observation number one about doubting. So if you're taking notes, here's the point to start writing something down. That Thomas was real about his doubts. Step one, step one, if you're gonna doubt the right way, if you're gonna doubt in a way that ultimately produces growth instead of you running away, if you're gonna really have integrity with the questions you're asking, the very first thing you got to do, and I wanna, as a pastor, give you permission, you've got to be real about your doubts. Check out what Thomas says. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. This is not a latecomer to the Jesus party. This is not somebody who was just kind of, you know, off for a long time and missed most of the details. No, this was an inside man. Thomas knew Jesus intimately. He walked with him for three years. He saw Jesus do the incredible. And yet in front of these disciples, he has the freedom to say, I don't buy it. I don't believe it unless I see it. I, I just can't believe it. Here's a little leadership lesson. Leaders address conflict. They don't avoid it. That in your marriages, in your work environments, with your roommates, with your friends, that whoever you're with, it's important that you need to understand as a leader, we're called to address conflict. We don't avoid it. If there's an elephant in the room in your marriage right now, you need to address it. If you avoid it, it's not going to get smaller. The elephant keeps eating and he keeps getting bigger and he keeps getting nastier and crazier. That your job, your goal is as a leader, as a follower of Jesus, you've got to address the conflicts, not avoid them. And Thomas does that for us perfectly here. And maybe some of you are immediately afraid. You go, well, if I voice my fears, my concerns, my doubts, my questions, then all of a sudden they'll become real. They're already real. You're already thinking them. They're already holding you back. They're already a hurdle. Sometimes I go and I watch students um, compete in their events and I'm always blown away at the track and field events where there's like 10 hurdles and the students jump them. Like, I'm like, are you, I'd have broken knees. Like that's, my body is not made for that, you know? And I look at these hurdles and I go, man, they, they seem so impossible to jump over, but they're possible with these students. They're able to train. They're able to practice. They're able to get ready. You see, your, your, your doubts, they're not walls, they're hurdles. And the first thing is you've got to be honest about those. 
You can't pretend the hurdles are not there. If if the runner, if the track and field student is just going to mow through those hurdles, they're not going to win the race. And the same way you can't pretend those hurdles aren't there. You've got to be real about them. So let me challenge you this morning. What are your doubts? What are your questions? What are your concerns? Doubts are not just for people who are new to faith. Because Thomas certainly wasn't new to faith. Doubts are not just for intellectual people. They're for emotional people as well. What are those doubts? What are those things that you're wrestling with? Step number one is you have got to be real about them. And then check out what happens next. Verse 26, after Thomas gets real with them, a week later, so much is going to happen here in these few words. A week later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples were in the house again. So they were back in that place and Thomas was with them. Two observations here. The first is this, Thomas remained in the community. This is one of those sermons where, and every pastor has these, where you just go alliteration crazy. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, you're channeling your inner Rick Warren or something. And you're like, I got to, I got to use every letter I can. So this sermon is, there's gonna be a lot of R's, okay? So the very first one is Thomas is real about his doubts. The second thing that we notice here is it's a week later and Thomas is with the disciples. Don't miss this. Thomas remained in the community. He continued relationships with the people that he disagreed with. The people he was doubting even though that they had all the answers over here and he had a lot of questions, he chose to continue to remain in relationship with them. You see, part of following Jesus is trusting him fully even when you don't understand him fully. And you can trust him even when you're wrestling and you're uncertain and you have questions. You can trust him by remaining in the community. And you see, this is exactly what the enemy loves to do. The enemy loves to put doubts in our mind, or we experience something and then he wants to capitalize on that. And so what he wants you to do is he wants you to back away from the people who think differently than you. That you may at one point have been really tight with your small group or your life group or your rooted group or your family or your friends or your Sunday school class. But all of a sudden you've got some questions and some doubts and you feel yourself beginning to back away. You feel yourself beginning to remove yourself from that community. You see, if we want to doubt the right way, if we want to doubt in a way that will actually produce growth, where there'll be change in our lives, we've got to follow Jesus' example here, or Thomas's example here, where he chooses to remain in the community. And I get this. For some of you, your doubts are really emotional and personal. That because of something that's happened to you, something in your past, you're wounded deeply. And you're going, I, uh, look, it's just hard for me to believe that there could be a God when this happened to me or to my friend or to one of my kids. I get that. I get that. And you may want to run away. But I want to encourage you, if you want to actually experience true growth, like actual life change, if you want to address the conflicts, the issues that you're facing You have got to choose to remain in the community. This means you show up to church even when you're not feeling it. This means you continue to commit to your life group, to your rooted group, even when you're struggling. And a prayer that maybe you need to pray is, Jesus, help me, I'm struggling. Be real with him. Choose to remain in the community, but be honest with God and say, Jesus, I'm really struggling. Help me. 
That's kind of a biblical prayer. There was a moment where Jesus was about to heal a man's son who was demon-possessed. And the man goes, hey, Jesus, if you're capable of healing, would you? And Jesus goes, are you kidding me? Of course I'm capable. And then he says this, Mark 9, 24. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus didn't chastise him. He didn't yell at him. He didn't call him stupid. In fact, he honored this prayer and ended up healing the man's son. You see, it's okay for you to say, Jesus, I'm struggling. Help me. Jesus, I'm struggling. Help me. So after you've been real, after you've remained in the community, then I want to talk to those of us who are a part of that community. And the third observation is this, the disciples made room for Thomas. Notice that, that it was a week later, Thomas was with the disciples. That even though Thomas wasn't cheering for their football team, even though Thomas was uncertain about life in and how would it look like for him and it looked so radically different for them, they had decided to make room for him in their community. You see, Paul didn't say in Romans chapter 12, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and send those who are mourning to counseling. He didn't say that. And I'm not down on counseling. Counseling is a wonderful therapy. But counseling should be a supplement. It should be a compliment to being in community with people. What is it about us that as soon as somebody disagrees with us, whether it be politically, whether it be over an issue, whatever it may be, or they have some doubts or some, cur- some concerns, they're not totally sure about this one aspect of their faith. What is it about us that we say we got to remove ourselves from them? That they're no longer welcome here that we'll stop inviting them to dinner. We'll stop hanging out with them and being intentional in those relationships. You see, that's not what the disciples did. In fact, they did the opposite. They made an intentional decision, followed up by actions to make room for Thomas. See, I believe the church should be the first and safest place to doubt, ask questions, and seek answers. This community, what we do when we gather on Sundays, what happens when we're in small groups and life groups, those should be the safest place. And they should be the first place that we go when we're doubting, when we're asking questions, when we're uncertain, when we're hurt and when we're broken, because the enemy wants us to run away, but God wants us to grow. And how that happens is in the context of community. And so we, as leaders, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we have to provide room in our schedules, in our lives, at our dinner tables, in our small groups, in our churches, in our classrooms. We have to provide room for people to doubt and to ask questions. Because when we do, I believe we'll see what happens next. Continue verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, I love this. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now we just read over that, but can you just imagine for a second how like terrifying this experience was, right? So, so these disciples, they are afraid for their lives. They're absolutely convinced that the Jewish leaders, that the Roman officials are gonna come in and they're gonna crucify them just like they did Jesus. And so they're around this table and they are filled with fear. They're paralyzed. And you know how, like, if you ever seen a scary movie, you know how after you're done watching the scary movie, like, you turn every light on in your house? You know, maybe it's just me. I turn on every light in the house. 
and I turn on the TV so I can like fall asleep and then I wake up or I'll see a shadow and I'll think something's coming, you know, and you're, you're just totally paranoid, right? That's where these disciples are. They're totally paranoid. They're listening for every sound. Their door is locked. They're in this house and they're listening for every sound, thinking that someone is coming after them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus somehow gets through the door without them knowing, walks up behind him and is like, peace. <laughs> no, not peace, not peace. Wet pants, not peace, wet pants. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like Jesus rolls in and is like, what's up, fellas? And you're like, no, that's not cool, man. That's not cool. But somehow Jesus thinks it's cool. And he says, peace be with them. After their heart rate settle down, after they change their clothes, something really powerful and significant happens for Thomas. Peace be with you. Verse 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, uh-oh, uh-oh, this is that moment. <laughs> Jesus shows up, peace, right? They're all freaking out. They're losing their minds. They're, oh my gosh, Thomas is with them. And then Jesus is like, Thomas, just staring at him. What do you think Thomas is feeling and thinking? Oh shoot, <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Here we go, he's gonna zap me, right? He's gonna kick me out. I'm done, it's over. And Jesus looks at him. And then he says this, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You know what we just learned? That Jesus can handle your doubts because he knows about your doubts. Jesus didn't say, hey, Thomas, I had heard a rumor that you were concerned about something. What was that again? Jesus didn't say, you idiot. How could you not believe me? You see me raise people from the dead. You see me do the miraculous. You see me feed thousands of people. How could you possibly believe? No, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Instead, he addresses the doubts and the questions that Thomas had. You see, two things happen here. Thomas researched his doubts, right? He investigated he touched the wounds. He explored. He didn't just back away and say, I'm not ready for this. He dove into it. He leaned into his doubts by researching, but then something even more powerful happened. Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. Jesus showed up. Can you imagine what this would have felt like, what this would have been like for Thomas? Because you see, Jesus can handle your doubts and he can actually answer your doubts. And he's going to answer them by showing up. And up to this point, as followers of Jesus, as doubters, we're kind of in the driver's seat, right? That I'm, I'm asking you, and, and scripture's asking you to be real about your doubts. It's asking you to remain in community. It's asking us disciples to provide room for you. And then even the research, even Thomas is doing the research and we need to be investigating. And, and you can't just settle for asking great questions. You have to also ask, or you also have to seek great answers. You can't just settle for asking great questions. You've got to seek great answers. But then the miraculous happens. And this is what I believe is going to happen for all of us. That Jesus wants to reveal himself. That Jesus wants to show up. You see, this is what Thomas needed. He didn't just need facts or figures. You don't just need to know why that child of yours passed away or that spouse of yours left. You need the presence of Jesus. You need Jesus to show up in a powerful way where he reveals himself to you. And as you're doubting, man, I, I hope this is encouraging for some of you. It's okay to doubt. 
It's good to doubt if you do it the right way. But what we're always looking for, what we're always seeking is for Jesus to reveal himself to us. For Jesus to make himself known. And we're commanded all throughout scripture. We're commanded and told to seek after God and we're promised that he will reveal himself to us. And so if you're doubting, don't just settle for those doubts and and running in the opposite direction. But choose to do some research. Choose to investigate. Like Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter seven, verse seven to eight, it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Or like God said through the prophet Jeremiah, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you ask me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And lastly, James chapter one, verse five, the brother of Jesus. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. We'll stop there. Ask and it will be given to you. Later, he actually says, James says, don't doubt. You'll get tossed around like the sea. But what he's talking about is a kind of doubt where you're running away. He's not talking about a kind of doubt that Thomas did. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is God's view on any situation, relationship, thing going on in your life. That's all wisdom is, is it's God's perspective, God's view, that we need that. We need a revelation from Jesus. We need to, we need to see him and know him and have encounters with him. But it's our job to do some asking. It's our job to do some seeking and he will reveal himself to us. The last thing that happens, the last thing I want to focus on is Thomas rejoiced in his new relationship with Jesus. Thomas rejoiced. Check out what happened next. Verse 28, Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. This is the first time in the gospel of John, any disciple has ever proclaimed this about Jesus. These are huge words. These have incredible implications, not just now, but also in the first century. Because what you need to know is during the time that this gospel was written and these events were happening, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Domitian. This guy was so cruel, was so violent towards Christians that, that the Christian community lived in absolute fear of him. In fact, we have two historical accounts of people from our scriptures who had bad encounters with this emperor. One of them is actually the gospel writer, John. You know that before John was outcasted to the island of Patmos for proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, Domitian had him boiled in oil. That this was a common form of torture for Christian followers. And he experienced that. We're also told in in different historical writings that that Timothy, the disciple of Paul, the young man who Paul poured into, the young church planner, that Timothy began to speak out against Domitian and some of the rulings and some of the idolatry that was going on in his courts. And this emperor and his crew got so frustrated at him that they beat Timothy so bad that two days after the beating, he died. 
See, this is a cruel, cruel man with a lot of power. And you know what he demanded people call him? Everywhere he went, it was on his title. It was what people would shout to him as he walked through the streets. He required that people call him my Lord and my God. Here, Thomas has such a profound revelation with Jesus. He is so amazed at the truth that God has showed up, that Jesus is real, that he's back from the dead, that he is willing to risk his life and say, truly, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Trump and Hillary are not your Lord and your God. Come on, right? Thank the Lord. All right, anyway. Um, your salary is not your Lord and your God. Your friendships are not your Lord and your God. Your position at your company is not your Lord and your God. How many girls or guys you've slept with is not your Lord and your God. Your achievements, your accolades, your said none of it is your Lord or your God. You know what is your Lord and your God? The risen Jesus who has the power to meet you in your doubt and reveal himself and say, I'm here, I'm real, I love you. And sometimes it takes a week and sometimes it takes a month and sometimes it takes years, but Jesus will show up because he's okay with us doubting. He can handle it and he will choose to show up. So, I want to talk to five different people in the room real quick about how this applies to your life. First person is this. If you're brand new or you're returning to faith, this is maybe your first time at church in a while or you were at church for a long time and, or you've never been to church and now you're coming. Can I just say, we're really glad you're here. And you may have a lot of doubts and questions about who this Jesus is and what difference he's going to make in your life. We get that, we understand that. And my encouragement to you is lean into those doubts, ask questions, be real, remain in this community. We'll provide the room, do the research and watch Jesus show up. Watch him reveal himself to you. Follow Thomas's example. The second group is maybe you have some emotional doubts. Maybe because of what's happened in your life, because of the tragedies you've faced, You've got a lot of emotional fear and anxiety and worry and pain. And you're going, I just can't believe in a good God when I've had such a bad life. We get that. We as a church will provide room for you. But I want to encourage you, don't let your feelings alone drive whether you believe this Jesus is real or not. Press in. Go through the pain and the anxiety and the worry because this Jesus longs to reveal himself to you. The second group is intellectual. There may be some of you who you, you have some intellectual doubts and some of them may be totally valid. Some of them may be ignorance masked in arrogance where you just say, ah, no, I've already read the articles. Nah, I, don't, I don't believe in Jesus. There's no way he's real. Really? There's like billions of people who think this guy's real. There's a lot of evidence out there. I want to challenge you to be like Thomas. Be real. Remain in community. We'll provide the room, do the research, do the research. What if you're afraid to doubt? I totally get that. You're going, I've been a Christian. I've been a small group leader. I've been a pastor for a really long time. There's no way I could ever be honest about my doubts. Here's the thing. Jesus already knows them. And if you're human, then you doubt and you struggle. What if you could go into an entirely new depth in your relationship with Jesus? If you would be willing to travel the 
scary road of being honest about those doubts. And then last group, if you know a doubter, if you've got somebody in your life who, who's calling you and just going, I don't know about this Jesus thing, I'm not sure, don't give up on him. Press in. Love them and care for them. Be like these disciples so that we can provide a kind of room and an environment where Jesus could actually reveal himself and change their lives forever because this is what happened to Thomas. He had this powerful encounter with Jesus. He began as a doubter, had an encounter with Jesus. And you know what Thomas went and did? History tells us that he was one of the first missionaries to the country of India. That he went and shared the gospel with India all because he was willing to be honest about his doubts. He experienced Jesus and then God called him to do the impossible. See, Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. It's after he's revealed himself to Thomas. And in the same way, God wants to reveal himself to you this week, this month, this year. Because what if he has an India trip planned for you? What if he has a Claremont trip planned for you? What if he has an Upland or a Rancho or Chino Hills or wherever you're at, whatever school you're at? What if he wants you to enter into these relationships with your roommate with a whole new perspective about how real Jesus is and you can't help but share that testimony all because you were willing to doubt? For me, I began this sermon a little bit talking about those doubts and those fears I experienced as a freshman. I remember not perfectly, but I did this. That I... I was real about what was going on. I was honest about the fears, the anxiety, the worry, the doubt. I stayed in community. My youth group provided room for me. I did some research. And a year later, in my little Presbyterian church, I was sitting there one Sunday. And a woman at the end of the benediction, right before Pastor Mark was about to share, she stands up. This is a Presbyterian church. We were like, no charismatic stuff going on at all, Right? People raise their hands and we're like, what is happening? Okay, so we're in this, we're in this room and, and, and she stands up and she says, Pastor Mark, God gave me words from his scriptures, from the Psalms and the gospels. And, and he just told me to write these down and he told me to share them because there was somebody in this service who needs to hear these words, who's doubting, who's struggling, who's uncertain. Are you okay with me reading it? And all of us, I remember all of us students going, whoa, we've never seen anything like this. And I remember for me going, what's she going to say? This is what, this is what she said. A year later, God gave her these words and they're all rooted in scripture. And she read this and I remember hearing this and I remember tearing up, knowing that God had revealed himself to me, that God heard my doubts, knew my doubts and was not afraid of my doubts, but had the power to answer them. Maybe this will be encouraging for some of you. This is what she read. It's as if God is speaking to us. I am with you, my beloved. I will never leave you or forsake you. My word is true and I keep my promises. You can trust me and only me. Keep your eyes focused on me for I will lead the way. My way is safe and you will be protected. Do not fear. Fear is not something that I give. I give peace, hope, and joy. I am the prince of peace. Fear is from the enemy. He wants to hold you in his grip and blind you, but I have come to set the captives free. My grip is secure, but it does not bind. Come to me, find comfort in me. I am the lover of your soul. Take refuge in the one who loves you, who holds you, who protects you. You are safe in my loving care. 
Stick close. We are in this together, never to be separated like a lost child. I don't lose my kids. They are eternally safe with me. Eternally means forever and ever. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you think that I would leave you at such a time as this? Leaving you is beyond my comprehension. I'll say it again. I do not leave my children. They are safe in my keeping, but only in mine. Don't be fooled by imposters. Stay as close as you have ever stayed. Don't you ever dare let go of my hand. Stay connected to the vine, your source of life and breath. You must not stray for it is dangerous, but you need not fear. I can conquer all. I am your strength and your power. Watch and see what I can accomplish. It will boggle your mind, but that is good. Your cage needed rattling. It was perched on an unstable foundation, but be sure I will not let you fall. Wait and see what I will do. I will do great things for I am the great and the powerful I am. Wait and see, wait and see. But remember to hold fast as you wait, always looking above, trust me and wait. See, Jesus can handle your doubts. And at Purpose Church, you are welcome. So may we be doubters who choose to be real, who choose to remain in the community, who choose to provide room for people who are struggling, who research, who experience Jesus being revealed to us. And then may we, like Thomas, rejoice, recognizing that God is alive and well. And then may we go into all the world proclaiming that he is my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We just thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather and to doubt. Man, I hope that this is freeing for some of my friends in here. Pray that we're just in a place where we can be real and honest about our doubts and our struggles, but that we choose to do it Thomas's way. We choose to do it the way that you've given us and taught us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.